water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony, then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them, but when the world needed him the most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello everyone, and welcome back to What's Appa, a rewatch podcast of the greatest show ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Joyce. I'm Justin. And I'm Anand. And this week, we want to give a special shout out to our friend Cal, who read the intro. This is episode 40 of our podcast, where we'll be discussing The Awakening to kick off season three. Some season three fun facts. Uh, this is the season of fire. So the intro title card has the Chinese character for fire. Um, some other fun facts from the Avatar extras, if you guys remember what that is is that before the production of season three began, the creators and writers went on a writing retreat and outlined all the major events of the season. Um, it also says they played a little bocce ball, which is, you know, always some fun. Um, so we start season three off and Aang wakes up and he has hair. What a crazy development. <laughs> uh, some fun facts about his hair. Apparently airbenders shave their head so that they can feel the air better, which... Mm. Makes sense, but I feel like your hair would also like flow in the wind, so maybe you could feel it better if you had a little hair. I don't really know. <laughs> from actually, from personal experience, having recently buzzed my head, you can feel the air a lot better on your head. It's it's really crazy. <laughs> ah, there we go. Uh, we do A B testing here at WhatsApp Studios. <laughs> um, the Avatar Extra says that it makes Aang more aerodynamic. Um, because <laughs> of his hair arrow on his head. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, um, and right after we realize he has hair, he realizes that he's on a Fire Nation boat. Yeah, and I thought this was pretty cool because it's actually very reminiscent of the season one opener in the Avatar Returns episode. Um, Aang kind of goes on that Fire Nation ship that's stranded in the um, Southern Water Tribe. And he goes into, you know, various Fire Nation rooms and even the banners that are hung up on the Fire Nation rooms in the boat uh, are almost exactly the same as the ones in his room. So I thought that was a cool um, uh, tribute. But unlike in that episode where we find Aang doing cool airbending tricks, Aang is weathered by his experience and he's hobbling out of the hallway on a crutch. And we end up seeing Pip, Squeak, and Duke in Fire Nation Garb, and they chase after Aang. Yeah, and I just thought this was interesting because, I mean, we see a lot of, well, we see some members of the Freedom Fighters um, in Season 2. We see Smellerby and Longshot, but it's actually been a while since we've seen Pip, Squeak, and the Duke. So it's kind of interesting, like, you might not actually recognize them, if you know, seeing this episode for the first time. Also, I'm thinking, where's Smeller's shot? Did they fall in love, settle down in Bossing Say? Like, what's the deal? Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting to note that this is the other side of the Freedom Fighters. Also, what were they doing? Pipsqueak and the Duke. What were they doing um, during season two? Yeah, it's kind of not explained. They just end up saying that they ran into Pipsqueak and the Duke. They're Jet Sleeper agents. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I bet they don't even know about Jet. 
Like they had to, oh, they probably no. had to catch them up and it was probably really sad. <sighs> sad. Um, anyway, so Aang gets through the hull of the ship and he reaches the top deck. And that's where he runs into Momo, Bato, and Hakoda. And the whole game see that he's awake and they're super happy and then Kantara comes to hug him. Yeah, and just a neat little details, um, Katara's clothes are still torn from the Battle of Ba Sing Se here also. So you can tell that, well, I don't know. I guess I guess it's been a few weeks since the events, since they tell Aang later that it's been a few weeks, but they haven't really had a chance to recuperate. They've just been on the run. Man, one pair of clothes must get pretty hard. <laughs> the ultimate minimalists. Yeah. Must be very easy for them to wash their clothes, though. <laughs> yeah especially katara oh yeah. yeah and katara has to wash everyone's clothes because Sakura won't wash his own clothes uh i'm sure given the choice he would smell pretty bad <laughs> um yeah another comment i have here is that now that we're officially in book three and in the fire nation on a fire nation ship with most people wearing fire nation clothing a lot of the color palette is very very red and Katara and Sokka's eyes stand out super well. Mm, um, that's kind of cool. Which, you know, I don't think gets them revealed fairly often on the show. Which is kind of crazy. Um, anyway, Aang shortly after, he's super overwhelmed and he passes out. Yeah, and this episode continues the pattern of the opening scene of every season happening on a boat. Um, so... Book one, we see Katara and Sokka on their canoe. Book two um, started out on a boat also. And then, yeah, now we're on or they're um, on a boat from traveling from the Northern Water Tribe to the Earth Kingdom, I guess. And then here we're also on a boat. So kind of interesting, you know, you have the gang traveling. It's a transition episode every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of transitions, uh, the next shot fades from the gang's ship uh, to Zuko's ship. Um, and there's a little cool little transition that happens. And we see Zuko looking out uh, over the rail into the ocean. And we also see a full moon. Um, so once again, it's a full moon episode, um, but that actually comes into play a little bit, a little later on, interestingly enough. Oh, wait, that's such a good point. Cause I also saw that, you know, as a full moon, I was like, ah, what a cliche, but no, it actually serves but it, a purpose. But it actually kind of matters, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we see Zuko contemplating how long it's been since he's been home. And he's like, I wonder what's changed. I wonder how I've changed. And one thing I noticed is his hair is always up when he's regressing into prince mode. I mean, here mm. he's literally, you know, going back to being a prince. But his hair has, you know, grown out since the earth kingdom days and now it's like long enough to be put into a little bun but then you know when he goes rogue he actually of course we have finally peak zuko with shaggy hair <laughs> in this season <laughs> but yeah his hair is always tied back when he's kind of like returning to his old ways um and then may who's also with him who's talking to him says oh i didn't ask for your whole life story and she's just trying to comfort him and eventually kisses him. And, you know, this is a big reveal. We knew there was a little bit of tension between Mei and Zuko in the flashbacks in Zuko alone. But this is the reveal that they're actually together. Yeah, then we flash back to the gang 
And, you know, they're all kind of bringing Aang back up to speed. And Aang's like, oh, why are they on a Fire Nation ship? And, you know, what's going on? And Katara tells him, you know, he's been out for a few weeks. And then Hakoda, Sokka and Katara's father, comes up and introduces himself to Aang. They do a fun handshake where they grab each other's forearms. And apparently this is the Water Tribe official secret handshake. <laughs> is it very secret? <laughs> I feel like I always did. Yeah. yeah. I also recently watched Avatar Way of the Water, and the Navi also handshake this way. So it's wow. water tribe in many ways. Very cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, we get some classic Katara, good old season one Katara in this episode. Um, you know, she she kind of has her mood swings here. And <laughs> she gets very defensive towards her dad and is like, you know, can you just like go away, give us some privacy? And then Aang's like, oh, are you mad at your dad or something? And Katara's like, no, not at all. Why would you say that? And her face just goes from like total anger and madness to like a totally normal face. Um, but I think this is cool. I think Katara, you know, season one had a lot of growth. And then in season three, I think her she comes back into the spotlight again and has a lot of growth first with her dad here and then like confronting her mom's loss and her mom's killer and all that later on. So it's a good setup. Then Katara brings Aang upstairs to their to their room for a one on one session. Uh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and it's revealed how bad Aang's scar really is from Azula's strike. Yeah. So one on one healing session. <laughs> no, no, that makes it any better but yeah i read this online and i thought it was interesting the scar is right in the middle of his back and it actually breaks up the tattoo and it symbolizes that his disconnection to the avatar state so i thought that was kind of cool one thing real quick if ang actually died shouldn't he have lost connection to all of the past avatars that's something that always kind of bothered me a bit I guess he only died for like a hot second. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's the not enough for the spirits to all. Maybe he lost. No, I don't know. I was going to say maybe he lost connection with Juan, the oldest one. Mm. Mm. Mm, and like it goes from oldest to newest, but then they didn't have time to like go through all of them. That's why he can still talk to the last, the previous like four. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. <laughs> so Angel says brain damage. It's just CTE. <laughs> so Katara is using some water bending healing on his back, and she's moving her hands up and down, trying to find where the pain is the most intense. And as she hits the right spot, Aang gets a flashback and arches his back in pain to what happened in the crystal catacombs. And he remembers getting struck by lightning and dying. And then Aang says, I was gone. But you brought me back. And Katara says, I just used the spirit water from the North Pole. I don't know what I did exactly. And then Aang says, you saved me. Um, and then the Avatar Extras here says that the Florence Nightingale effect is when a nurse falls in love with her patient. Dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Could that be happening now? Mm. It is a somewhat sensual scene. <laughs> <laughs> Reading it back mm. now. <laughs> so <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. But yeah, so the next scene is the welcome back scene for Zuko. He returns to the Fire Nation and we see Lo and Lee announcing 
the return of the prince and princess. And then while they're announcing their return, we have this montage of the walls of Ba Sing Se coming down and the Fire Nation armies are swarming through the city um, and they're securing their victory. And just some fun facts here is we see a few old characters. We see Pao from Pao's Tea Shop, which is where Zuko and Iroh first found some work. And then we see Jin. Um, and then we also see the couple from the Serpent's Pass. And we see Hope crying. Literal Hope is crying. Um, so sad. So sad. Um, and yeah, I also read online how you know, it's kind of ironic how the Daily agents take down the wall and not the Fire Nation. So it's really just shows how they will follow whoever's in power and how they have no um, morals or like allegiance to the Earth Kingdom. They're the ones who are actually taking the city down. It also took like only what seemed like five or six Earthbenders to take down the entire like second of the wall, <laughs> which is kind of nuts yeah that's that's true really they only needed to they like the fire nation only needed to find like five disgruntled earth vendors <laughs> yeah. to take down bossing say um yeah but anyways so lonely presents zuko and everyone cheers and he looks a little he's not not that happy actually you wonder what's going on in there that's right. Then we flash back again to the gang. And over here, Sokka is explaining what happened on their side of things. Yeah, in this scene, I just want to call out, there's a lot of interesting Avatar cuisine. It looks like the gang is eating some type of noodles with bok choy. But Pipsqueak and the Duke somehow have smuggled on board some small dumplings. Or it looks like Yum. soup dumplings. Damn, good for them. That sounds so yummy. Yeah, so Sokka says, you know, they flew back to Chameleon Bay to find the uh, Water Tribe men. And then he explains that the Earth King wanted to travel the world in disguise. So he set off with Bosco. Yeah, and I always just thought this was so weird because doesn't he have any responsibility to help in any sort of way? Uh, and they're just going to let him leave? I mean, I guess he's kind of useless and incompetent. So really, like, maybe he would have held them back. But yeah. Yeah, I, I actually thought this was... Pretty in character, to be honest. He was always the person that never wanted to be king. It kind of checks out. He and Bosco roaming the world. That's true. So actually, we do get to find out in the comic book called It's Only Natural, released by Nick Magazine Presents on September 18, 2007. And it's a comic book about what takes place between book two and book three and follows the adventures of the Aang gang Bosco and the King. And in it, um, Sokka realizes that Bosco is not fit to be a bear in nature. And they go through a bunch of trials, <laughs> like foraging for food and stuff like that. And Bosco absolutely fails at every single one of them. And at the end of this, the King realizes that there's a lot in the world he does not know about himself. Like Bosco, he doesn't know how to be a good bear. And the King decides that he will experience the world as a humble man and ends it with the scene where Bosco tears off their royal clothing and the king reveals the casual clothing underneath and they ride away, which is actually the scene we see in the episode. Wow. Okay, <laughs> that's kind of cool. And it makes it make more sense. Yeah, so good for the Earth King and Bosco. But meanwhile, the gang has more important things to deal with. So Sokka explains that, you know, they're escaping, but they were able to capture a Fire Nation ship and make it their disguise. 
And then Hakoda says that they've been working on a modified version of the invasion plan now that the Fire Nation kind of knows about it. Um, without the Earth King's armies, but they're using a ragtag team of friends and allies. And then Sokka explains that the Eclipse actually isn't even their biggest advantage. Sokka's like, we have a secret. You. And he's like, me? Sokka's like, yep, the whole world thinks you're dead. Isn't that great? And then Aang <laughs> freaks out. And he's like, oh my God, the whole world thinks I'm dead. And obviously, you know, he feels all that guilt that he felt for being missing for a hundred years. It all bubbles back up. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of his main conflict the rest of the episode. I actually just thought about this. Not only does this episode also start out on a boat, Aang wakes up from a very long slumber to find out the world thinks he's dead. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's exactly like the first episode. Yeah. The only difference is Sokka's not sexist this time. <laughs> um, anyways, we see a Fire Nation ship is now approaching and Aang's like, stay back, I'll handle this. The Avatar is back. And then Katara's like, wait, wait a second. They don't know we're not Fire Nation. Um, and so he holds off and then the Fire Nation ship, you know, approaches them and then they put down the little bridge thing and the Fire Nation gen captain comes onto the ship and they're like, oh, why are you off course? And then Hakoda and Bato, uh, you know, make up some story about how they're delivering cargo and they're part of the Eastern fleet. And, you know, they'll get the Admiral to send a message the next time. And then one of the backup soldiers for the other ship is like, hey, wait, that Admiral has actually been on leave for two months. They name drop the Admiral uh, and his name is Admiral Chan. And some fun facts, Admiral Chan actually gets his last name from the Avatar writer Mei Chan. Uh, the Avatar Extra says he's known for being a lousy communicator, which <laughs> is kind of confusing how you get to become an Admiral, being bad at communication. Um, but also, we will see a cameo from Admiral Chan's son later in the season. Mm. Yep. And we'll get to visit Ember Island play or Ember, Ember Island players Ember Island where uh, Admiral Chan is on vacation. A lot to look forward to. Indeed, but then they realize that the ship that the gang is on is captured, and the commander is like, "Just stay quiet until we're safely across the ramp. Then we'll sink this ship." Yeah, and I just thought it was really funny that he was like, then we'll sink this ship. I was like, is he that sure that it's captured? Like, he doesn't even know anything. Like, he, <laughs> no one tells him anything. Like, how is he so confident that this is a captured ship? Um, also, fun fact is that Mark Hamill actually voices this captain guy um, in addition to Ozai. So he has two characters in this episode. Talented guy. Um but anyway, Toph is able to hear um, the captain's whisper uh, through the metal, uh, which is interesting. I mean, I guess she would be able to do that before. But anyway, she hears and she's like, they know. And then, you know, she gets up, starts metal bending and throws the captain and guards into the water. And then Katara also shows off some crazy moves and does some whirlpool action and like sends them away. Yeah, the bending here has definitely leveled up. Um yeah, so the next scene, we see Zuko in the palace, and he's sitting in the courtyard feeding the turtle ducks in the pond, just like he used to. And then Azula comes to ask how Zuko is feeling, and 
fun fact here is you can see that the turtle ducks actually run away because they hate her. It's kind of a callback to how she used to feed the turtle ducks by chucking the bread at their faces. Um, so yeah, definitely call back to Zuko alone, which is um, first like Zuko loves feeding the turtle ducks, something he used to do with his mother. And then also the turtle ducks hate Azula because Azula used to torture them. Generation of Turtle Duck have passed down her name. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> there have probably been so many generations and they still are scared. They've be um they've evolved to be afraid. Um yeah. And Zuko's all sulky and he's like, I don't know, I haven't seen dad yet, and also I didn't capture the avatar, so what if, you know, something bad happens? Zula's like, so what? The avatar's dead. And Azula's like unless you think he somehow miraculously survived. And then Zuko has a flashback to Katara showing him the water from the spirit oasis. And he's like, no, there's no way he could have survived. Hmm. Tricky, tricky. How does Zula even have thought that the Avatar did survive? So I was wondering that too, but I think it's just that Zuko looks so, or she wanted to ask because of how Zuko is feeling during this conversation. Oh, I think she says, so what the avatar's dead. And then maybe he makes a face or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then she can just tell that he lied. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's way too good. Yeah. So in the next scene, we see an establishing shot of where the Aang gang is currently at. And for the, Astute observers were actually at CD Merchant's Pier from earlier in the show. And they're on the ship currently in Aang's room. And Toph says that they're going to go into town to find some dinner. And Sokka offers to cover up Aang's arrow tattoo with a headband. And Aang says, I'm not going out if I can't wear my arrow proudly. Like, clearly offended that Sokka even brought up this uh, proposal. Um, and Katara is trying to defuse the whole situation, and she says that she understands Aang's anger, but uh, they want to keep him a secret. Um, and she says, you don't want people to think you failed, and Aang responds, I did fail. He's clearly, you know, down in the dumps about this whole situation. Mad at himself for failing the battle, mad for losing, mad for being injured, and then Aang reminded him that the invasion is still ongoing and that there's still hope. And Aang says, I hate the invasion plan too. I don't want you or anyone else risking their lives to fix my mistakes. I've always known I'd have to face the Fire Lord, but now I know I have to do it alone. Yeah, this was an interesting comment. Um, obviously now Aang is kind of overcompensating and he's like, oh, I want to do everything by myself. But in the end, he does have to face the Fire Lord alone and you know has to develop a creative solution to do it. So this is also almost like a setup uh, for the season finale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a detail that I read online that you can notice in this scene is actually when he's saying this, he's tearing off one of the Fire Nation banners from the wall. And as it falls, it also falls on top of his staff. So it kind of symbolizes how he'll have to hide himself for the time being until he can make his return and, you know, like subvert his airbender identity, which also happens at the very end of this episode when the glider burns up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Aang then asks Katara to leave him alone. 
Yeah. And just quickly, this when he says this, he really begs her, please, like, please, please leave me alone. And I think the voice acting here is really good. Um, and for the last line, too, when he's like talking about how he hates the invasion plan. Um, so mm-hmm. definitely like some pretty raw emotion in this episode. Katara turns back and she asks, is there anything you need? And then Aang says, I need to redeem myself. I need my honor back. So just some fun facts about this shot. The Avatar extras, when Aang says, I need my honor back, it actually says, hey, that's Zuko's line. Um, And it also says that this shot is reminiscent of the last time Zuko saw his mother, where she told him everything she had done was to keep him safe and that she loved him and to remember who he is. Um, and then leaves to sacrifice herself for the sake of her children. Um, so it's kind of a reversal of the roles of Aang and Zuko, where Zuko regains his honor here, but Aang is losing it, and then going through everything Zuko went through. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, so then it fades from Aang's face to Zuko's face, the side with the scar, and we see him approaching his father's chambers, and he's visibly nervous and apprehensive about going in, but he sighs and then goes in. And then we see the Fire Nation throne room, you know, fires blazing everywhere, super hot, warm, red colors. And then we see Ozai approach the fires and uh, Zuko looks up and then we see Ozai's face for the first time. Just some fun facts about Ozai. Uh, as Anand said, this is the first time we're seeing his face. However, we've seen a couple of mock-ups of his face before in puppet form at the Fire Taste Cultural Festival, <laughs> if you guys remember yeah. that way earlier. Um, however, his face was seen in the, in the movie that doesn't exist, The Last Airbender. Um, some other fun facts. Uh, Ozai's chop, uh, basically his hair, has been seen on various documents and wanted posters written in seal script, which is an archaic form of calligraphy used for government seals and carved inscriptions in China. Um, and the modern way to write down the official red seal translates to Fire Lord Ozai's official seal. Uh, Ozai is written in uh, Chinese characters, which roughly translates to proudly carry. And he was designed to look like an older, scarless version of Zuko. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and then Ozai says, you have redeemed yourself, my son. Welcome home. Um, so Zuko has finally redeemed himself and has his honor back. So that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Show ended. <laughs> um, so Katara goes back to Aang's room, uh, to see if he's there with some food, but he's gone. So Katara runs out to the front of the ship and runs to her dad and she's in tears and she's, you know, pleading with her dad. She's like, why did he leave? It's not brave. It's selfish and stupid. We could be helping him. And I know the world needs him, but doesn't he know how much that we need him too? How could he have just left us behind? And Hakoda's like, you're talking about me too, aren't you? And Katara's like, how could you leave us, dad? I mean, I know we had Grand Grand and she loved us, but we were just so lost without you. And Hakoda says, I'm so sorry, Katara. And then they hug. And Katara says, I understand why you left. I really do. And I know that you had to go. So why do I still feel this way? I was so sad and angry and hurt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on a great job, but not <laughs> anywhere nearly as good as how um, Mae Whitman, the voice actress for Katara, does it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's so good. Like this whole scene, it's it like 
hurts so bad and you can really hear how sad she is. Um, and I also think this particular line of like, I know why you had to go. So why do I still feel this way? Is really like mature, um, but even more sad for that reason, because it's just, you know, this is what happens in wars. Like, I don't know, in times of struggle, like people are torn apart and like can't really do anything. And it's kind of what you need to do, but it's also really sad. And I just feel like it's a very mature thing to say for you know a kid her age um i don't know she's very sad for sure uh and then hakoda responds i love you more than anything you and your brother are my entire world i thought about you every day i was gone and every night when i went to sleep i would lie awake missing you so much it would ache and yeah very heartwarming you know they hug and kind of make up but um yeah, it's interesting. This is a parent and child scene. And the last scene was also a parent and child scene with Zuko and his dad. And, you know, they're both kind of reunions, seeing each other and kind of making up after many years. And they're just so different. Uh, obviously, Oza and Zuko is very cold and, and um, yeah, it's just very cold. Whereas this is, is um, you know, much more loving. And so it's a cool juxtaposition between the two scenes. Now we find out where Aang is after he's disappeared and he is making his way out over the open ocean. And in the distance, we can see the Fire Nation blockade and Aang dives underwater to get below the blockade. Yeah, and if you remember all the way back in season one, again, in the Winter Solstice Part 2 episode, this is the same blockade that they have to fly over uh, to get to the Crescent Island Fire Temple to see Roku. So it's the same blockade and, you know, we're coming, revisiting uh, this part from season one, which is cool. Some fun facts as we're flying, well, swimming, I suppose, under the blockade, we see some shadowy creatures of the night, and they're actually <laughs> seal guanas. Uh, they inhabit the outlying islands of the Fire Nation, um, and they're iguana seals that have the torso of an iguana and the flippers of a seal. And the legend goes that they strongly resemble sirens in Greek mythology. Uh, but instead of luring sailors with their beautiful, harmonious calls, uh, the seal iguanas, or iguana seals, or seal iguanas, would accidentally lure sailors with their beautiful calls. However, in this case, the sailors would kill the iguana seals instead. Oh, <laughs> That's so sad. It's yeah. really sad. <laughs> anyway, Aang finds his way to the other side of the blockade, and finds a piece of driftwood and starts surfing on it. I don't know if this is related, and I highly doubt that the writers intended for this to happen, but there is a Buddha saying that the likelihood of becoming the enlightened one is like a turtle surfacing in a hole in a piece of driftwood. So Aang finding the piece of driftwood here mm. is you know, fairly lucky. Wow, that's crazy. That's very cool. Anyway, his luck runs out and it starts storming pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. And here we hear the Avatar theme come in um, because, yeah, he's kind of doing this cool move where he's using his glider to like windsurf. Um, and he has an epic moment uh, for a little bit through the storm even. Um, but eventually he falls. Um, but for the time being, it was pretty cool. It was like his last hurrah with the glider. The last existing air bender glider out there um and it gets destroyed later so it's kind of cool that has its moment to shine 
but yeah, of course that moment, uh, is very fleeting. <laughs> um, anyways, the next scene is Zuko confronting Azula in her sleep in the middle of the night because we had actually found out from Ozai that Azula gave Zuko credit for slaying the Avatar in one of the previous scenes. And he's really upset about it. So he storms into her room and he says, why'd you do it? And Azula says, you're going to have to be a little more specific. So some fun facts here. The Avatar extras at this point of the show actually say the following words are often used to describe Azula. Conniving backstabbing, pure evil, dot, 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 and yet she's surprisingly attractive. Which is a really weird thing for the Avatar actress to say, <laughs> considering she's 14. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely one of the weirdest Avatar extras I've seen. Yeah. Um, a little uncomfy. The next line says, sleep is important, so maybe they're referencing her great skin. Mmm, um, beauty so, sleep, yeah. You know, there you go. Uh, after skincare routine tips. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, Zuko says, why'd you tell father that I was the one who killed the Avatar? And Azula is like, call it a generous gesture. Um, I was happy to share the glory. And Zuko's like, you're lying. You have another motive for doing this. I just haven't figured out what it is. And Azula is like, please, Zuko, what ulterior motive could I have? What could I possibly gain by letting you get all the glory for defeating the Avatar? Unless somehow the Avatar was actually alive, all that glory would suddenly turn to shame and foolishness. But you said yourself that was impossible. Sleep well, Zuzu. Um... So uh, like one of the peak evil Azula moments, because um, actually, you know, Azula cannot get power or like, you know, ascend to the throne unless Zuko like completely like flops, you know. Um, so I think she used him to conquer Bossing Se, but now she's like, oh, now she has this new tool to kind of like fully bring him down. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of just a you know, cool way to think about why, she, you know, what, why she still needs to do the things she needs to do. Um, but another fun fact is there are rumors that the voice actress for Azula, Grey Delisle, actually voiced this scene like she was trying to seduce Zuko or like that's what she was thinking when she was like acting here, uh, which is really gross. But you can kind of like like this scene also has a type of like that type of tension to it in some ways like <laughs> yeah. the middle of the night like some conference like you know azula like the way she says that is so like it's like snaky but it's like also alluring so the avatar extra is new exactly exactly <laughs> they're just weird vibes all around yep and then we flash back to ang and he's stranded in the middle of the ocean, looking hopeless. You know, he's down to his last few. He's down to his, you know, the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> but he gets a couple of surprise visitors. So he first gets a visit from Roku, who just, you know, appears out of nowhere. So we know the Avatar connection is not dead. Um, and then Aang says, I'm letting the whole world down. And Roku says, if anyone is to blame for the state of the world, it's me. You inherited my problems and my mistakes. But I believe you are destined to redeem me and save the world. So that's cool. Giving Aang some hope. And then Yue appears. Um, as we said, it was a full moon. Although I believe to this day is actually the following day. So I don't know. Two full moons in a row, I guess. <laughs> um, par for the course for this show. Every day is full moon. Uh, but Yue says, you already saved the world and you'll save the world again. 
but you can't give up. And then Aang's like, you're right, I won't give up. And yeah, this this was definitely a, a cool scene. I think there are, you know, a decent amount of parallels to the Storm episode where, you know, Aang recounts the story of how in that time he was actually fleeing his responsibilities and trying to run away from them, gets caught up in a storm and then, you know, freezes himself. But at this time, it's actually the opposite. He's trying to kind of like overcompensate for failing and almost the same thing happens. But yeah, I guess what gives him hope again is that he actually has already saved the world and, you know, made friends with UA who can like bend the ocean and get him to safety. So um, yeah, gives him hope and he's able to waterbend his way forward. And, you know, UA also helps him, creates a ginormous wave and they fly off to Crescent Island. Some fun facts here. This is... If you remember to our end of season two trivia night, the last time that we see Princess Yue in physical form, um, and the extras say that she's the spirit of the moon, which we already know from season one, uh, she has powerful influence over the ocean. And it also says she's nice to have around if you ever want to go surfing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, which is a nice extra bit. Um, some other interesting call-outs here is that uh, the way Aang is surfing is kind of reminiscent of the animation of Avatar Kuruk surfing, and that the huge wave that Princess Yue creates uh, is also a phenomenon in the ocean where there will be randomly a large freak wave that comes out of nowhere known as a rogue wave. And I believe the scientific explanation is this is just, you know, um, coincidence of a bunch of... Uh, waves lining up to create a big one. Um, but I guess in the Avatar world, Princess Yue is mad. We're trying to help someone. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to point some things out about Crescent Island, which is where Aang ends up first. You, he just ends up lying there among the lava that's actively flowing out of the volcano, <laughs> which I think is funny. Also, later, he's like walking around with his bare feet on top of all the red hot lava. Um but also, again, this is some nice continuity from the Winter Solstice Part 2 episode from Season 1. Um, you know, same, we had to get through that blockade, but then, you know, we also end up at Crescent Island, which is was Roku's home. Um, and, you know, it's actually totally barren now because if you remember, Roku actually destroyed the Fire Sages Temple that used to be on Crescent Island, which is, you know, what they visited during the Winter Solstice. Now it's totally gone. Um, so... Yeah, kind of cool. Some more continuity here. The extras actually say that the lava that's still flowing when Aang ends up on the island is from the event where Roku destroyed the island temples. Mm. Been going for a whole spring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next scene is the following morning and we see Momo come to look Aang awake and then the gang is all reunited and, you know, they comfort him and he's like, I have so much to do. And they're like, we have your back. And then Sokka's like, we'll join up with my dad in the invasion force on the day of the eclipse. Um, and Toph finds Aang's broken glider. And he's like, that's OK. If someone saw it, it'd give away my identity. It's better for now that no one knows I'm alive. And then he plants the staff in the volcano, all dramatic, sticks it in the magma and then lets it burn up. Yeah, obviously we see here Aang kind of taking a big step, sacrificing his pride, realizing that uh, everyone needs to do their part here. And his part is to just remain dead <laughs> in, until uh, the time is right. So that concludes this first 
episode of season three. Um, let's just move on to our ratings now. Okay, I will give this episode an eight out of 10. I thought it was a really good episode, uh, much better than I remembered it being. Uh, I think it pays a lot of tribute to previous episodes, um, you know, from season one and a couple from season two. It also sets up things really well for the rest of the season, a lot of the main conflicts. There are a lot of emotional parts with both Katara, Aang, and Zuko. Um, and then we, you know, get to peek our first peek into the Fire Nation and see Ozai. Uh, so there are a lot of cool things. The reasons I ding it a tiny bit is there are like a couple things I'm slightly annoyed by, which one was Katara is like a little... Things are with her a little bit over the top in the beginning of the episode, like in relation to her dad. And also sometimes the er, the transition from Aang to Zuko, where he's like, I need to gain my honor back, was just too, too on the nose for me. Um, but slight grievances. Um, the only other thing is if there was more action or better action. Um, bringing it up but yeah solid episode and give it an eight i think i give it an eight as well uh i just really like this episode i think it served its purpose as a setup episode tying off a lot of things from season two as well like you know the king ang's glider and i suppose princess ua um that being said it it is just a setup episode so yeah an eight Mm. Whoa, okay. I feel bad now. Uh, I gave it a four. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just been a minute. I'm not calibrated properly. But yeah, I just think um, it's good in all the ways you guys mentioned. I just think, yeah, it is a setup episode. Uh, it's just not super funny. It's not super... There's not super great action. Um, but I did like the character development. Um, I just think it's like not what, you know... It's it's I want the meat. So just like on rewatch, like on its own, um, I don't find it that enjoyable. But I think like there are some really good moments in the episode uh, that we talked about. Yeah, I just think like on rewatch, it's not my favorite, um, but it's great setup and it's good teaser for the heavy stuff and the redemption. But first, there's a lot of silly stuff. Yeah, but see, I even like, I don't know, personally, I like the silly stuff too. Like if there's just like a funny episode that doesn't really do any character development, I kind of like that too. I don't know. I think my ratings kind of go more off of like rewatch value than, I don't know, maybe their overall like place within the show. Who knows? We can, uh, we can all rate it however we like, but I feel a little bad. Maybe I shouldn't have been so harsh. Um, anyways, that concludes this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we hope you enjoyed our discussion of the awakening this season. We'll be releasing on the first Wednesday of every month. So we'll see you next time on what's up a Wednesday, uh, when we release the next episode. If you want to stay up to date on when we release or submit thoughts or questions on the episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at what's underscore appa, or you can email us at what's pod at gmail.com. Also subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Flamio, Hotman. <laughs>